Amen. Let's pray together. So we pray, Spirit, as we sing, that you would come and put strength in every stride, give grace for every hurdle, convict us, encourage us, and send us out today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In our pride, I don't think we grasp just how desperately we need help. And in our ignorance and ingratitude, I don't think we grasp just how much help we've been given. Once, when I was a young driver, I was driving around town not far away from here on Bank Street and Riverside area. It's right around this time of the year when our entire city just turned into one massive pothole. And I drove my dad's Toyota Corolla over one of these potholes. Bang! Immediately knew something was wrong, so I, I pulled over into a Tim Hortons parking lot there, and I got out of the car, looked, and of course one tire is just completely flat, totally blown. And now I've learned a lot of, about driving at this point. I had not been taught how to change a flat tire. And so I stood there looking at the car thinking, I am stuck. There's nothing I can do. I felt completely helpless on my own. Thankfully, I did have a phone on me, and I was able to, to call a friend and his dad who lived nearby, and they were able to come help me put on our spare and then get on the road again. But do you ever feel helpless like that in your spiritual walk? Like one of your tires is blown out, and now you're stranded on the side of the road somewhere, not knowing how to fix things, how to get moving again. Maybe, maybe you feel that you, the same old sins keep derailing you, and you feel powerless to change. Maybe you're discouraged, and you feel alienated or lonely, set apart, like alienated from others around you or from God. You're not alone if you feel this way. But I'm here to tell you today that there is hope and there is help. You see, we have a helper. We have a helper. And he's already arrived on the scene. So we may feel stranded, but we're not. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, Peter tells us. And, and we just forget or we're unaware of just how much God has given us in himself. Today, I hope that our eyes can be open to really what is a, a spectacular gift that God has given to us in himself, in the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, we're not stopping our journey through Deuteronomy. We're only hitting pause. Okay? I know that certain things have been heavy and hard-hitting. They've been deep recently. So we want to give you a breather. Let you come up for some New Testament air. So for today, we're going to open up to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 14. Our series in Deuteronomy is subtitled, One God Over Us. To emphasize that, that our God, he is the one in authority over us. We're to obey him, to follow him, to live under him as his people. I've entitled this short series, Our God 
in us, which, as we'll see, is frankly astounding. Last week, we saw the need, as we were in Deuteronomy and 1 Samuel, we saw the need for both Moses and Samuel to pass on leadership for those who would come after they died. And this is a recurring theme in Scripture of leaders needing to, to hand off their mantle to those following them. Now, if there was one leader in the Bible you think wouldn't need to do this, it's Jesus. And in some ways, he didn't. Right? He is still very much the the head of the church, in authority over us. But in other ways, he did leave his people from earth. He left them and to return to the glories of heaven. And his followers were pretty distressed about this. And like, Jesus, what is going to happen when you're gone? How will we ever, we, we can't go on without you. So on the night that he was betrayed, only hours before he would die, they celebrated Passover. Jesus told his disciples. He filled them in on what would happen soon. And it was in this somber context where he made an astonishing claim. In John 16, verse 7, he says that it was to their advantage that he would leave them soon because then the Holy Spirit would come to them. They would receive the Holy Spirit. But... How in the world would it be better for them to have the Spirit's presence than Jesus' presence? How is that possible? Well, throughout this final speech that he gives his disciples, which goes from chapters 13 to 16, Jesus talks a lot about the Spirit in order to encourage his disciples, to, to instill hope and peace in them, and to reassure them that everything would be more than okay after he was gone. And since we today are still under the same new covenant that was established that night, I think this can still be super encouraging, hope and peace-inducing and reassuring to us as well. We'll pick it up mid-scene, starting in verse 15 of chapter 14. Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, in case you're doing a double take, no, we're not still in Deuteronomy. <laughs> God does say a number of very similar things through Moses, though, right? That the, that the whole heart and soul and strength love that we're to have is exemplified. It's shown in obedience. And, and it's this loving obedience that may have been some of the most intimidating parts of, of recent messages. Because Right alongside of that, we've seen how poorly we tend to obey God's law. Here's the thing. If you are living in disobedience to Jesus in some area of your life, and you know it, and you don't really care, or you've given up the fight for your, fighting your sin, then I would conclude, based on what Jesus says here, that you do not love him. He says, if you love me... You will keep my commandments. However, I have a feeling that many of us would respond the same way they imagine the disciples felt. Maybe a bit overwhelmed, slightly worried. There's, there's no way that I measure up. But it is your desire to obey, to love Jesus with your whole heart. 
And even if you feel discouraged in the fight sometimes, you're still fighting. What Jesus will say to us is really good news for us today. He knows we may feel overwhelmed, helpless. So it's like, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. But you won't be alone in this. Look what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So how can we ever keep God's commands? God promises to help us. That's how. Here, here's the, the first wonderful point that we'll see from this. The Holy Spirit helps us obey the truth. Okay, the Holy Spirit helps us to obey the truth. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, as a side note there, this is one instance where we can see the entire Trinity in one verse. Right, the, all three persons in the Godhead working together in perfect unity and power. But Jesus call, focuses on the Holy Spirit, and he calls the Spirit the, the capital H Helper, whom the Father would send to Jesus' followers. Other versions translate Helper as Advocate, Counselor, Comforter, or Friend. I think that Helper is probably the best translation here, as long as we get that we're not talking about someone inferior or subordinate to us. Okay, he's above us. But think about it. After all, you go to an advocate, a legal advocate, once you're already in trouble. You go to a counselor when you need counsel. You go to a comforter when you need comfort. And a friend is great, but it could be powerless to actually help you. And so Jesus, though, had a present tense help in mind when he calls the Spirit a helper. Not help after trouble arises, but help before and right in the middle of the trouble. As Psalm 46 says, we read it earlier, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help or ever-present help in trouble. R.C. Sproul explains, says the Holy Spirit comes to the people of Christ not to heal their wounds after a battle, but to strengthen them before and during a, a struggle. The idea is that the church operates not so much as a hospital, but as an army. And the Holy Spirit comes to empower and strengthen Christians to ensure victory or conquest. That's a, a great picture, right? Imagine if Jesus told us, I'm sending you into battle. And when you come back, you're going to be injured, you're going to be weary, you're going to be despondent. But don't worry. I'll have a, a great hospital set up with great doctors to, to receive you, and I'll provide an excellent counselor to help you with the PTSD. Okay? I mean, those would be good to have. But it would mean a world of a lot more to have God say, I'm sending you into battle. Oh, and I'm coming with you. And you see him lacing up and suiting up to, to fight alongside of you. Jesus says that would be the Spirit for us, that the, the Spirit would be another helper. Meaning he wasn't the first. Jesus was the first. 
Jesus was saying that another one would come who was just like him. Obviously, having Jesus with us, physically guiding us, would be amazing. It would be indescribably great. But why would we assume it's any better than having the Holy Spirit literally inside of us? Things would be different, sure, but they would not be worse. Jesus actually says they'd be better. Just consider two of the aspects of the Spirit's help we can see here. So first, his help is eternal. Jesus was quite literally about to leave. He is going to physically die very shortly. In contrast, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Forever. God has promised to never leave and never forsake his people. And he fulfills this promise through the ever-present presence of the Holy Spirit. We may be sometimes reluctant to ask other people for help in certain areas of our life. Say you're going to move to a new place, and so you put out a call for moving help. Someone to lug in the furniture and the boxes and get a truck and all of that. But you don't want to be a burden to people and... You don't want them to feel obligated or annoyed or or put out by assisting you. And you know that if you ask for help too much, then you may sense that they get weary of, of helping you. Because people are limited. People have limited time, strength, even limited love. You can only care so much. But the Holy Spirit is not like us. His care for God's people is limitless. It's eternal. He he never grows tired. You're never a burden to him. He never runs out of time. His help is eternal. And it's also internal. Look at verse 17. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now this is a shocking part. In the Old Testament, so much emphasis was placed on the, the certain places where God would dwell. Uh, we've seen that often in Deuteronomy. Clearly, God was present everywhere, but his presence was special in certain locations. At the tabernacle, at the temple, at Shiloh, at Jerusalem. And the, the Spirit, we know, was always in existence back then, just like the Father and the Son. He was active. He'd always been with his people. But this was something new. To have God's Spirit actually dwell inside of people. Now, this wasn't a a new concept, though. God had once said, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. But now, this was actually coming to pass. Jesus says, this is imminent. This is happening. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Francis Chan comments that it makes sense that Jesus would say it's to our advantage to have this other helper. After all, Jesus merely walked beside the disciples. The Spirit would actually enter their human bodies. You've probably heard this truth a hundred times, but have you marveled at it? 
Would you be willing to take 30 seconds right now just to dwell on the fact that God is in you? And uh, to be clear, God is not us. We are not God. There's a distinction, but God is in us. Okay, let's do that. Let's take 30 seconds. Just think about that. All right, that God, if you're a follower of Christ, this is true of you. God is in you. Think about it. even wrap your mind around it? Chan continues this way, he says, astonished? This is not a distant, loose connection. This is the Spirit of God choosing you and me to be his dwelling place where he'll live. This means that I may wake up on a particular day feeling physically tired or stressed or impatient, and humanly speaking, those things would probably define my day. But the reality is that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because of this reality, stress and tiredness and impatience don't have to define my day. All because the Spirit is our helper. Eternally and internally. It's amazing. Have you ever tried to, to turn on something electronic and had lots of issues doing so? Maybe a TV or a speaker or microwave or something. Whatever you do, it, it won't work. You, so you check to, to make sure all the, the cables are secure. You push all the buttons. You, may, you change the, the batteries in the remote. You hit it. And then you notice that the uh, plug is not plugged into the power outlet. <laughs> it's kind of how... We're living if we are trying to obey God without the Spirit's help. J.D. Greer says, There can be no true obedience to the Word apart from the Spirit. Without His divine presence living inside of us, we cannot truly accomplish even the first word of Christ's commands. This means we cannot overcome sin without His presence. We cannot love others. We cannot win others to Christ. We cannot raise our children we are like an appliance unplugged from the socket. We can do nothing. But with him, on the other hand, then we're fully enabled, empowered to follow Christ. Over the, the paragraph that follows, you can skim it. Jesus promises to return to his disciples one day, he reiterates that, that keeping his commandments proves your love for him. And then he promises that those who do so will share in an intimate relationship with God. These are our lofty expectations. If it wasn't for the fact that this is exactly what the Spirit helps us do, 
He helps us do that. He helps us obey the truth. Some people today can tend to pit the spirit against the truth, as if they're opposites, or as if, if truth is just a cold, heavy, by-the-book, rigid doctrine, and the spirit is, is warm and light and spontaneous and touchy-feely experience. But biblically, the spirit is not opposed to the truth at all. I, I read a book this week where the author say, you know, I heard a Christian speaker one time say that it's better to spend one hour on your knees pursuing the spirit than ten hours in your Bible. Great tweet, terrible advice. <laughs> okay. The, he, bet, he says, going on to say, it's a lot better to spend one hour on your knees pursuing the Spirit through the Bible. Okay? The Spirit is so connected and intertwined with the truth of God's Word that one of His names is actually the Spirit of Truth. So Jesus calls Him here in John 14 to 16, the Spirit of Truth. He helps us obey the truth. However, if we're going to obey the truth, something else has to happen first. We have to actually know what the truth says. And guess what? The Spirit is just as involved in that step as well. What we'll see is this. The Holy Spirit helps us know the truth. The Holy Spirit helps us know and understand the truth in the first place says this in verse 25. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here Jesus says the Spirit will do two things. He will, one, teach his followers all things, and he'll bring Jesus' words to remembrance. We talked last week just about how important Jesus' words are to us. We need to listen to him. Now we see that the Holy Spirit doesn't let us forget them. Don't let us forget Jesus' life-giving words. So, for example, when you feel overwhelmed and anxious, and all of a sudden you think of some words of God's word. Maybe, I fear not, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. Or do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. That's actually the Holy Spirit who's bringing that to your mind. Or when you feel angry, want to lash out at someone who hurts you, he may remind you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Or maybe a soft answer turns away wrath. In the middle of, of doubting whether your faith is true, you may call these words to mind. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Or when we're racked by guilt, we may hear a soft whisper. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And remind us of these things over and over again. And then he'll teach us. 
teach us what Jesus taught and beyond. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This simply means that the Spirit will teach us what Jesus never got the chance to teach. As J.D. Greer says, Jesus believed that the Holy Spirit would be a better teacher than even he was. That may sound hard to believe, but the Spirit, Jesus explained, could apply the word more powerfully than he did because he could speak it into the deep recesses of our heart at just the right moments. The Spirit makes the living word come alive in us. Many of us are probably thinking, you know, this all sounds great. Okay, that the Spirit can help me learn and grow and follow Christ. So, so how do I tap into this? How do we plug into the power outlet? Let me first just say this. Okay? The Spirit is a person. God in three persons, right? So he is personal. He is not some impersonal force. Hey, that the Bible never says, use the force, Luke. <laughs> Therefore, we are to actually have a relationship with this person, with the Spirit. The, the power outlet metaphor is fine, but ultimately it falls short because the Spirit is so much more than just a current that we plug into. He is a person we are called to love and follow and commune with and worship. So you want to experience the, the Spirit teaching you and, and helping you obey. Here's my advice. Likely the, the first thing we need to do is to go where the Spirit is speaking. Go where the Spirit is speaking. So where does the Spirit speak today? That question might sound more difficult than it actually is. The Spirit may once in a while speak through inner promptings or other people around us, but bar none, the primary and most trustworthy way he speaks is through God's word. By far, the, the word of God is living and active because the spirit is living and active. The, the spirit speaks through our reading and hearing and meditating on scripture so that the places that you can go to hear him best is wherever the word is prominently present. In, in personal study of the Word, in community-based study of the Word, in the public preaching of the Word, in the singing or praying of the Word. I love Justin Peters' quote. He says, If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear Him speak audibly, read it out loud. The next thing we need to do is to consciously recognize that the Spirit is speaking. We tend to forget. Or we think that we're just reading ordinary words on a page. Or that preachers like me are the ones who are lending our power to God's Word. No, it's not just a book or a person that you're hearing when the Spirit speaks to your heart. Whenever you hear God's word, you are hearing from God himself. You get that? God is speaking. If we can recognize that truth in the moment, it can help us take it way more seriously, how we respond. And if 
God is the one speaking, then we best be sure to do what he says. As he teaches us and reminds us, we must then submit to the Spirit by obeying. Which, coming full circle, he helps us do. So, whenever your heart gets pricked by something you hear from God's word, I think you know what I mean by that. I think most of you can do this. Like, you don't ignore that. Don't dismiss that. It could be the almighty spirit of God who is trying to talk to you, to teach you, to remind you right then. Whatever he asks you to do, if it lines up with the truth, do it. Do it. He's still active. He's still moving in us. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus and his disciples get up from dinner to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. All the while, Jesus keeps talking to them, teaching them, preparing them. After all, things were soon going to get really bad for them. Jump ahead with me to chapter 16. Chapter 16. In verse 1, it says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now that's a little wonder. They're sad and upset. They just invested, invested three years of their lives to following this guy around everywhere, thinking that something amazing is going to come out of it. And now he just says, he's going away? He's leaving them? Abandoning that? Was this all for naught? But it's right then that Jesus makes the shocking claim I mentioned earlier. In verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's actually best for you. Think of how that would have sounded to the disciples. Baffling say the least. How could that be, how could that ever be better? Like we've already probably seen some of the answers to that question, that, that the Spirit's ministry would be eternal and it'd be internal, that the truth would be more thorough, that the teaching would be more thorough, that it'd be more piercing to the heart. But let's also consider the expansive global scope of the Spirit's ministry. Kevin DeYoung explains that the inauguration of God's reign begun by Christ will be completed by the Spirit, but only after Christ's work is accomplished. The church then, in a paradoxical way, is better because Jesus is no longer physically here. In other words, Christ's work is accomplished, so we're in a better state. Back in the first century, also, one had to go to Palestine in order to be with Jesus. But now, on the other side of Pentecost... Christ can be everywhere by his spirit. 
We don't have to travel to Israel to be with him or live in the mountains or light a candle to find him. We can do better than walking with him or seeing him. He can dwell in us anywhere at any time. That's amazing. And there, in those words, we can also see how the Spirit's work completes the gospel work that Jesus began. And this is the point that Jesus makes clear in the verses that follow. So nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So when our helper came in power, he brought a, a whole new level of conviction to the world in that he makes people aware they're standing before God, convincing us of our guilt and calling us to repentance. Here's the point we see. The Holy Spirit helps convict us by the truth. The Holy Spirit helps us be convicted by the truth. We tend to think of conviction as a, a negative, bad thing. But it's definitely not. It's often a difficult thing. Not a pleasant thing. But it's a good thing. I mean, imagine where we would be if we were never convicted of our sin before God. I mean, you'd be oblivious to the ways that you've offended the God of the universe. Completely unaware. You'd be ignorant of your idolatry, your ingratitude, your, your self-centered independence. Hopelessly lost on the, the literal highway to hell. The fact that, that God opens our eyes to our issues is actually a mercy. Like we need conviction to, to kickstart our journey to find the grace that we need in Jesus. Here, Christ says that the Spirit convicts the world of sin as multitudes do not believe in him. They're, they're blind to their need for grace. So, so thank God that he helps us to recognize our need and so turn to Jesus. Then he says the Spirit convicts the world concerning their righteousness, which is usually a good thing, unless it's an outward or self-righteousness, which is shown to be hopelessly inadequate in Scripture over and over again. Jesus himself often convicted people throughout his ministry of this outward, pharisaical righteousness. So now as he leaves, the Spirit would naturally just pick up where he left off and carry on his work. As he says in verse 10 concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. The Spirit's going to do this. Finally, the Spirit convicts the world about judgment. That is their false judgment. Most notably, their misunderstandings and mislabelings and mistreatments of Jesus, all of which are related to the devil, the, the ruler of the world, as Jesus says there, the, the father of lies, who now, because of Christ's triumph, stands condemned. 
Don Carson adds, the world's judgment is profoundly wrong and morally perverse. The need for conviction of this false judgment is all the more urgent. The world is condemned already and in desperate need to learn of its plight. These are all kind of deep ways to say the Spirit exposes the truth of who we really are. The Spirit exposes the truth of who we really are. He shows that we're sinners. That our righteousness isn't enough. That we've misjudged Jesus. But the fact that he does this work in our hearts is a great thing. Without, without, it coming to know, without coming to understand these things, we would never sense our need for a Savior. But now we know otherwise. And now we know that the good news of Jesus can come rushing in. And we learn that, that though we are sinners, Christ died for sinners to pay for our sin. We learn that in exchange, we can be given his perfect, spotless righteousness. And we learn that the righteous judge can now declare sinners not guilty anymore. This is stupefyingly good news. And if you've never realized it before, the Holy Spirit may be working today to open your eyes and change your life forever. Like, don't ignore him. Don't dismiss him. Like, come, pray, talk to, talk to us. We'd love to help you. Talk to the friend who brought you. But the Holy Spirit could be working in your heart right now. And by the way, Christians, we never stop needing this truth of the gospel every day. We never stop needing the ongoing, convicting work of the Holy Spirit. So be thankful for it. Be teachable. Respond whenever you, you sense Him convicting you. Don't fight it. Don't get defensive. Just repent. We're already kind of getting at the final point I want us to notice today from God's Word because the Spirit not only exposes our need for Christ, but then also leads us to Him. And Jesus makes this explicitly clear here. First, if you would look back with me at verse 26 of chapter 15. So chapter 15, verse 26, where it says this. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then look back in chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it you. So, not only does the Spirit help us obey and know the truth and be convicted by the truth, but the Holy Spirit helps us see Jesus, the truth. The Holy Spirit, more than anything, helps us see Jesus, the truth embodied. You may know that it was earlier in this same speech that Jesus famously said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now we see that 
that one of the main parts of the Spirit's job was to point to Him, to the way, the truth, and the life. Greer comments that there is a, a certain irony in how the Spirit operates. Whenever He is really present, you're not thinking about Him. You're thinking about Jesus. The Spirit's work is to direct you to notice something else. Jesus says this, right? Verse 26 of 15, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Or as most versions say, he'll testify about me. As if he's in a courtroom and the Spirit is called upon as a, a star witness. And as he takes the stand in your heart, he says, yes, Jesus is all he says he is. He's testifying. You should, you should listen to him. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. It's also like he's a tour guide of sorts, showing us the way to truth, something that we would never have found on our own. But he's more than willing to guide us there. When it says that the, the Spirit would guide them into all the truth, that's not talking about knowing all kinds of truth and knowledge about the universe. Okay, like knowing all kinds of facts about star clusters and seahorses, Slavic languages, history of Spain. <laughs> no. Kevin Young explains, the truth refers to the whole truth about everything bound up in Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. You want to know Jesus? You want to know Jesus? You want to know Jesus more? The Spirit can help you. Ask Him to. Ask Him to, to guide you as He speaks to you. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Imagine if, you have, if someone went into my office, grabbed my master's degree diploma off my wall, pranced all over the place, showing it off to everyone. Look what Pastor Matt has done. Isn't it amazing? Then they plaster on billboards, post it online, just bragging on me. That would be terrible. <laughs> totally embarrassing. I would never, ever want anything like that to happen but it's totally different with Jesus. Because while we don't deserve much praise in life, he deserves it all. Every ounce of praise. It's right that he would be glorified for all eternity. His exploits should be boasted about everywhere as loudly as possible. After all, this is the lamb who was slain, whom the very courts of heaven declare is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Have you ever been amazed by Jesus? If so, that shows that the Spirit is still at work in you. Has your heart ever been stirred to praise his name? To boast in the Lord? Maybe you're moved to even now. 
we would not want to do so on our own. So thank God that he sent us a helper to, to help us see how things really are, to help us see Jesus and then join in glorifying him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son Thank you for sending your spirit. And we pray today that your spirit would be moving and active in our hearts to show us Christ, to open our eyes to his glory, to help us see how much we need you, how much we're dependent on you, and yet how much you've given to us. God, may we go from here changed as we seek to live these truths out. In Jesus' name, amen.